What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons along with Bud Elliott. We have seen the first Bama, Georgia. What is it? Bama, Georgia part one of 2020. We'll see how many more of these things we get. Uh, I'm guessing we get at least one more, but there's a lot of other good games on the weekend. A few revelations in the SEC, a few soul crushers in the ACC. Big 12 kind of had the week off. Um, Bud, uh, how we doing? Last week before the Big Ten joins the party, I feel like we're, uh, we're, we're, we're rolling, man. We are, man. There's a lot of chaos for everybody but the very, very top teams who just seem to be skating along and, and, and not not catching strays from anybody. And and uh, how, and how would you define the very, very top teams? Just Bama Clemson so far. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I now Georgia had like somebody had to lose, obviously, in, in that matchup. But I mean, UNC goes down. They were sort of suspicious top five team, maybe not a, a true top five team, but still a pretty decent team so far this year. They, they go down. We had a couple other upsets. Uh, but ultimately, like the people, the teams that I was real, real confident were going to make the playoff stayed alive and stayed alive in, in fairly convincing fashion, including uh, including that game in T Town. Yeah, I think um, we'll see what we'll see, we'll see what Ohio State looks like next weekend when they play Nebraska. But I think it's it's hard to envision um, anyone but Clemson and Alabama occupying two of the playoff spots. And I would even say, argue that as long as Alabama gets to the SEC championship game unscathed, which I think they will, um, then they'll get in regardless. And so, you know, we'll see who else is fighting for those other two spots, whether that be Georgia, whether that be Florida, whether that be somebody in the Big 12. If anybody in the in the Pac-12 is going to get enough games in to make a run, if Ohio State is, in fact, as good as Alabama and Clemson like we think they might be. Uh, so, look, things get more complicated uh, next weekend after a few more teams get in the mix. But here we are. Like, we have – this is – we're Sunday night here. It's 9.50 on the East Coast right now as we're recording this. And we've seen the – again, like, this is Alabama-Georgia 1. And what – for Kirby and, and Nick Saban, it's – what is this, Alabama-Georgia 3? Uh, four, something like that. I they've they've had a couple good battles. Yeah. Basically, they've had a couple good battles, and uh, and and this was a good half. And second half, Alabama pulled away. Alabama showed that you know it's got a few things Georgia doesn't, uh, and those things I feel like are particularly important in the modern brand of college football. Georgia still living a little bit in the past. Um, so what do you think? Where, where do you want to start here? Like what, what's your big takeaway from this one? What, what are you going to, what are you going to project forward the rest of the year that you learned from this game? You know, I, I, I think Georgia has now very clearly defined what its target is. If it's going to be able to take down Alabama. And, and I kind of feel it's like, all right, Hey, you know, Georgia finally upgraded the bow and arrows and they come to the fight and Alabama's got a sniper rifle. Like they're just able to hit from a different distance, man. It, it, it's almost as like, you know, do you ever play NBA Jam when they had like the five or ten point shot power ups? Like, Bama is like the only team out there that I've seen so far that is just dunking on people with routine like 50, 60, you know, seventy yard throws, man. Like, like they're they're accurate down the field. They're 
And that is what we have seen. We, we talked about this, I think, three weeks ago. Like, what is the differentiating factor for the like the elite of the elite of the elite teams? And it's not defensive line anymore because everybody has that. But like, or everybody that we think might be in that natty conversation, for the most part, has freaks on on, on the D line to various degrees. It's the ability to push that ball down the field and do so with the same accuracy that you're throwing a 10-yard ball, that now you're, you're throwing a 40-yard ball. Mac Jones on the night, passes that traveled 20-plus in the air, 5 of 8 for 215 yards. I mean, he's over 50% completions chucking the ball 20 yards down the field on Georgia's defense, which I still think is the best defense in the country. Stetson Bennett, 2 of 8 for 118. So Mac Jones is basically double the yards per attempt more than twice as accurate. And one of those Bennett ones, honestly, was to a guy who was wide the hell open in uh, in, in James Cook, who, you know, they look, Georgia deserves credit for f- formation him out there. They, they get him out there, they motion, and they, they see it. It's, it's, it's an obvious throw. And Bennett hits that to his credit. But it just felt like, man, Mac Jones through the air to these receivers who are really a differentiating factor. Georgia's got to find a way to get the same or similar level of production, I don't think any of the same, probably similar, from George Pickens, from Kiaris Jackson, from the continued emergence of Jermaine Burton, and maybe from Stetson Bennett. But, man, the reason why we both picked Bama, and this is not a pat ourselves on the back type thing here, this is just let's recall what we said after a long discussion, is because we did not trust Stetson Bennett to go in there and push the ball down the field like you probably need to do to beat the Tide. And Mac Jones showed it against AM. And, and he didn't really show it against Ole Miss that much because Ole Miss played a crazy shell umbrella defense and gave Alabama like unlimited 10-yard gains. But then when Georgia was a little more aggressive, boom, right over the top again we go. And I mean, 215 through the air, five of eight on 20 plus yard throws. That's crazy numbers. It is crazy. And I and I will say, like, it is time to fully embrace the Mac Jones deal. Like Heading into the season, I was one of those. I, I don't know that I was um, emphatic in my belief that Bryce Young would be the starting quarterback by midseason, but I was very much presenting the uh, scenario that I felt was was accurate. Whereas Mac Jones basically has four games in the previous schedule. I don't know what is it was, was this game four. I guess it was. Yeah, Mac, Mac Jones has four games to to keep the starting job. Um, Matt, if, if, if Mac Jones doesn't have the horsepower to beat a Georgia, we're going to find out, we're going to know that. And Bryce Young's going to be the, the guy you have to turn to because whether you win that Georgia game or not, you're going to have to beat either Georgia again or Clemson or someone of that ilk. And you're going to need the horsepower of a Bryce Young. Well, that narrative, that storyline, that talking point, like it's all gone. It's, it is just Mac Jones. Now he, he deserves all the respect all the praise, everything he's getting right now, he deserves because he's and now I know how good his receivers are. I know I know the tools he's working with. Um, that uh, deserves mention, sure. But Mac Jones, man, that dude's he, he's he's completing like almost eighty percent of his passes on the year. It, I mean that you don't do that by accident. And so, a I think Mac Jones is it, it has been um, sort of the best case scenario here of of what Mac Jones could be this year. The other thing is that one of my one of my big like pet peeves 
coming into this year and really in general is the idea of when you, when we are prognosticating, um, uh, you know, when we're, when we're trying to predict something will happen, when we are trying to see when's the next, when, when is the next uh, example of this that's going to pop that you wouldn't be able to predict? Well, the whole nature of that is like you're trying to predict something that wouldn't happen. So when, so when I or we, and this isn't, uh, this is, this is going to come off sensitive because no, no one's called me out on this, but I'm just saying, you know, there was, there was some talk preseason, like could Georgia be the next LSU? Could Georgia be an offense that has been a little bit sluggish based with a, with a new offensive coordinator coming in, with a new quarterback coming in? Could it somehow become, in one year's time, morph into this wide-open juggernaut of an offense uh, that it hasn't really been before? And the prediction of Georgia wasn't an expectation that that was going to happen. It was an attempt to identify where the traits may lie to, to, for that transformation to take place. So the transformation hasn't taken place. But what's, what is, I think, frustrating from the, from the perspective of watching Georgia is that it still kind of could. It, it's, I mean, Jermaine Burton can be a stud at wide receiver. George Pickens could be a stud at wide receiver. Um, uh, Kyrus Jackson has continued to be a really effective and talented option in the slot. And, and yet here they are. And, and I don't know that it, it couldn't have taken place under Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is limited. So this is what they have. Um, but had Georgia come in with this very aggressive um, shift in offensive philosophy with a very capable transfer quarterback, whether that be JT Daniels or, J- or Jamie Newman, um, it's, it, it, it isn't hard to envision that to take place. And I guess the reason I'm saying that is because I say that because Georgia just they're they're operating in a different like uh, with uh, under a different like they're working in a different model than Alabama is. And Alabama's model is better. It's a better model. And if Georgia ever wants to 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 consistently beat Alabama, it needs to figure out a way to make that metamorphic like to make that transformation. And um you know, unfortunately Stetson Bennett I don't think is capable of that. It's been a courageous couple weeks starting and he's a good player. He's just not a national t- championship quarterback. He's an SEC East winning quarterback, maybe, but not a national title winning quarterback. I, I completely agree. Like Mac Jones is a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett is. Georgia is fully capable of going, you know, nine and one, getting back to and losing to Alabama again. And I think it is possible that they could beat Alabama. Like I'm not so I'm not one of these people that thinks it's just a physical impossibility. Now, would I pick Alabama again if they're still running Stetson Bennett out there? Yeah. Additionally, because I, I think that Bama's receivers are more developed and more professional in their approach. Oh, they, than yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. And Jermaine Burton and George Pickens are talented. They're athletic. They they ain't Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. They just are not. And that's no knock to them because nobody the hell is. But those dudes on the Alabama side are bosses. The, Bama has two guys who could play in the NFL right now playing for them at a high level if you put Pickens and and Burton in the NFL right now they get eaten up by NFL DBs I'm pretty sure due to technique and experience and a route running savvy there is a difference it's not all athleticism based um other things from this game I agree with you by the way I, I really think based on how much Bama won by if they get to Atlanta undefeated 
I, I even if they lose, I still think they're going to go to the show. I, I think if you if you are, you know, Oklahoma State or Iowa State or Oregon or USC, you're sitting there thinking, damn. If we win our conference in the Pac-12, we undefeated. We only play seven games. Is that really going to be enough for us to go over Bama? If they if they were to lose lose to Georgia, I'm I'm assuming a close loss to Georgia here if it were to happen because I don't think Georgia is necessarily capable, you know, of of blowing out the tide in Atlanta. Um, man, I, they really like the quality of this win might have punched their ticket already if they just take care of business for the rest of their regular season schedule. And that's looking increasingly manageable. Yeah. I, I, this The SEC is a treacherous place this year for everybody. And yet, I think, t- tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I think it's, I think this, ironically, even with a 10 game conference schedule, feels like a less treacherous path for Alabama than, than we've seen in recent years. I mean, LSU ain't going to beat them, Auburn can't beat them. Like there, a lot of the teams that would typically be equipped to challenge Alabama, I don't think are. Um, I agree. And and so, Tim, you know, Bama just the, the only team that could beat Bama this year, they just played. Um, so I think that this is, I, I I'm not intimidated from an Alabama perspective by this schedule that's in front of them at all. Do you remember when when we we, we talked about kind of the the weird dichotomy between how Georgia seems to get pressure but not get guys on the ground, and Alabama seems to allow pressures as recorded by you know PFF or, or whomever out there, but they don't really allow sacks. Like To me, it took a minute for Mac Jones to feel comfortable with that level of chaos around him, but he really wasn't getting roughed up that much. You know what I mean? Like He took a couple shots, but they weren't getting him on the ground a whole lot. And like that really impressed me about Jones that he was able to play with guys around his feet, with guys around him, hold on to the ball long enough to allow those downfield routes to develop and still get off accurate throws and not have his eyes come down and be looking at the rush too much. I mean, that it took a couple of minutes to, to adjust and, and to get there, but that proved out right. Like Bama's offensive line does allow some pressure, some compression of the pocket a little bit. It's still really good pass protection when you're blocking freaking Georgia. <laughs> You know, but Georgia just didn't get him on the ground enough. They didn't hit him enough. And Jones didn't run out of the pocket prematurely very much at all after the first couple of minutes of the game. He just stood in there and, and delivered the ball accurately. Yeah. I mean, I think and 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 that I think delivering the ball accurately was is the the key there too, because um you know, there there's so many times over the course of the game, and again, I compare I, it's natural. You're going to compare the two teams. Um, and when you compare the delivery, the the ball placement of some of the throws that Stetson was, Bennett was making, they were catchable balls, but they weren't, they, they weren't precise. And, and Mac Jones was putting it on the, on the, like right where it needed to be. And, and, and those receivers were making really difficult catches and they were, they were helping him out, like, like attacking the football. Um, coming back to the ball, you know, catching it with their hands away from their body. Um, just again, it's the little things. Like in a game like that, it is the little things that matter when you to to, to win and to win the way that Alabama did. So um, I just think that they're, you know, with the exception of maybe Clemson, it's pretty clear Alabama's operating at a different level, and that's even considering the mess that was the Ole Miss defense, the game against the Ole Miss uh, uh, offense. Um, this this offense felt much 
more manageable for Alabama. The other thing I, I think now, now that I think back about that Alabama game against Ole Miss, I, I'm not going to say that Bama didn't scheme for Ole Miss, but I do think that like there's a chance that Nick Saban could have put in a, a different defensive scheme that they could have run against Ole Miss if they really wanted to limit. But I, I feel like they just tried to play their regular defense against Ole Miss, and a regular defense is an aggressive defense. It, it, it's it's a fast defense. It, it's a defense you know that, that is going to try to to stop bubble screens for a yard or two, not not chase it down the field and, and give up five. And so it's a defense that is a little bit more susceptible to some of these fakes that, that, that Ole Miss runs. And it, it almost – I'm not saying that that was like an overlooked game for, for Bama, but clearly they just came off A&M. They've got Georgia on deck. Like this little three-week stretch is their season. I think they probably knew that they could score enough to beat Ole Miss under almost any circumstance. And my guess is like they didn't want to confuse their – kind of young defense here with a bunch of crazy new stuff for the Rebels game. They just wanted to keep running their stuff so they'd be good at their stuff when Georgia came to town. Yeah, or they were just – they pulled a Bo Pelini and they were just stubborn. And they just said, I don't care what this offense is. We're, we're better than it. Doesn't strike me as the mentality. Your your, your theory is probably right. Um, I mean, it, it, it could be, though. Like, that's <laughs> – uh, I, I got to say, every passing game that, that Mississippi State plays, Bo Pelini looks worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's they they got a got a break this weekend um, by not having to deal with up Florida. Um, I was but. I was live betting the hell out of that under as soon as I saw that first opening drive. I was like, wait a second. Texas A and M is rushing three. Okay, that's standard practice here, but they're getting pressure with three. Like, I looked at yeah. PFF numbers today. I think I think. Mississippi State threw like 45 passes. AM blitzed three times and got a ton of pressure all day. Like that was when I knew, okay, they're they're totally screwed. If they if their offensive line is routinely getting whipped by three guys up front, good night. And that's that's kind of how that was there. Yeah. Um that was kind of a little, little random segue, but uh just that popped in my head. I didn't put that on the outline and good God. Uh Mississippi State's offensive line. Oof, they're they're trouble. Um, do you want to hit anything else on Alabama, Georgia? Throwaway comment, maybe. I'm a little bit surprised at, at how well both teams were able to stay ahead of the chains a little bit with with the run game. Like they both kind of got decent push on what I think are pretty decent defensive lines. Uh, you know, with with, with the run game, Najee Harris, I think his long carry was what 17 yards, maybe, but he had a lot of carries. For five yards, six yards, seven yards, that that kind of helped help keep Bama ahead of the chains, and uh, and they, they weren't just throwaway runs. You know, he, he did a pretty good job there. Yeah, I mean, Najee Harris is. Uh, I, I tell you what, th- this feels like when when he came back for his this is this is I guess his senior year. Yeah, when yeah. he came back, he um, I didn't know if that made any sense. Like I just feel like you know what he is, what he is. He's going to get drafted. He's probably not a first rounder either way. I, this this, I, I don't know if he's a first rounder, but, and I don't I still don't know if it made sense from a business standpoint, from a tread on the tires, whatever standpoint for him to come back, I, but he he looks like a better back. I mean, he is he has he's helping himself in terms of just the the eval, like the way his he's such a tough runner. He shows such an ability to catch the ball and make plays out of the backfield as well. 
he's been a like he's been about as good as any running back in college football this year. And you know Georgia is fast because Najee is not slow, right? He's not a, maybe not track fast, but he's not slow. And there were a couple runs where I was like, oh, he might be gone. And then Georgia's like, oh no, no, our defense is that that fast. Uh, like he's he's not gone. And they they hawked down with ease. Like, like he he worked his ass off to get those 150 yards on 35 carries or or, or whatever it was. He, he he probably got some serious ice tub action last night when all that was over. Those safeties that they they, they they may be a, um, in a bit of a mismatch against Jalen Waddle, but they're not scared to come downhill and tackle somebody. <laughs> Those guys will get on a line and they get on a beat and they'll 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 make some plays now. Absolutely. All right. So let's notice the ad break real fast. When we come back, we're gonna go no huddle. We're gonna talk a little and you know, maybe Dabo grudge mask against against Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech, uh, evaluating Notre Dame's passing game, Coastal Carolina. Florida State, UNC, Tennessee, Auburn. Take a recruiting question, maybe a little Barry Odom talk. Uh, that's a whole lot. So we'll see how much we get to after this ad break. All right, man, let's let's go no huddle here. Got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, I'll lead this off. I don't know. Have you ever seen Georgia Tech like lift weights on the field before the game? I remember I remember that last year. They did did do they do that everywhere or just a couple spots or what? I, I don't actually know if they do it everywhere. Uh I know there are some other teams that do this. Uh, I, I've heard of some some Big Ten teams that actually do this, not on the field like Georgia Tech does, but like there there's some evidence, I guess, medically that like if you lift, you know, power claim, you do some kind of weightlifting before the game, get some hip activation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Georgia Tech kind of does this and makes a big show out of it, and they they you know, they're, they're lifting weights, they're they're pumping iron on the field and whatnot, and literally apparently at Clemson last year. Uh, some people at Clemson, including some Clemson staff, maybe Dabo there, uh, were not super happy about the the manner in which they were doing it, I guess. Um, I, I got this from a Clemson guy, and uh, he told me, he's like, watch, we're going to crush them. <laughs> and 73 to 7, he was right. Apparently they were lifting weights. Clemson thought they were lifting weights, like actually on the field. Field, so like making divots and stuff. And don't mess you know. with a head coach's field now. Those head coaches, they they're serious about that field, about that grass. They're they're man, that's that's every level. High school coaches, I don't know, maybe college coaches, they don't have to, you know, keep it up themselves. But mess with the coach's field, you're gonna you're gonna get it. And last year. 52 to 14. They, they they really didn't didn't pull off the gas much 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 last year. So that was uh that was certainly interesting. Um Trevor Lawrence out out in the first half. Clemson really looked, I mean, they really couldn't be any better than, than how they looked. I, I I don't really think. Um still kind of waiting on like a dominant outside receiver, but they've got so many dudes. I, I have confidence somebody will emerge, you know. So <clears throat> As we so we're talking about this game immediately after talking about Alabama and Georgia. How much of this? How much of Clemson Georgia, Georgia Tech did you watch? I, it was always second screen for me at best. So we've we've this was like my one of my big points. So we talked about this a lot, but I, I think I, I hit on it a lot this weekend in the Cover Three Reaction Pod, just about the receivers. You know, really how those receivers at Alabama are like to me. They were the difference in in that game. Uh, and and how important it is to have those outside threats 
these days more so maybe than ever. Is is it? I know that's like they're they're sort of hey you know if 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 you gotta you know when you're when you're filling out strengths and weaknesses of a team you know you just can't leave the weakness section blank right so like whatever so their weakness is that you know we could maybe stand to use a little more playmaking on the perimeter or whatever but do we really think that it's it that that what they have right now and this isn't a sarcastic question this is a an honest question is there any reason do you think to believe that that could preclude them from national title when when the big game comes against an Alabama type of team do do we is this just something we don't know yet or is this a legitimate are we at like concern level and I know this is weird because they just beat a team 73 to 7 but that is really the only talking point right now for that offense and I'm curious where your um where your opinion lies on that as at this stage I, I guess I would say it's it's more of an unknown than a concern for me because Clemson does have such a track record of, of developing receivers and particularly receivers, you know, on, on the outside. We, we we've seen Frank Ladson, we we we've seen Joe Nagata, and ultimately those guys are being asked. Somebody has to become a number one before they were initially planned to be number ones because they did have Justin Ross get the injury there, right? Like. If Justin Ross is playing, our discussion is different because, hey, man, Clemson has Frank Latson as a number two. They, they they haven't got as a number two. Like, that's a hell of a lot different conversation than, hey, who's going to be their number one? And if they don't get, get guys to step up there, then it is a concern because I do think Bama will score on them. Bama's going to score on everybody. And as we've seen, in order to beat Alabama, there is a recipe. You have got to have big-time receivers win your one-on-one battles outside. Otherwise, Saban will never get out of those coverages. And so, but I'm still confident that Clemson will get there because they have time to do so. I don't think there's any ACC teams that are really going to threaten them that much right now. And they have the track record for developing that position, you know, pretty pretty damn well. Like, like if there's a team you should trust with a position, Clemson receiver is, is high up there. They got time to groove their swing. As the season progresses, they don't, they're not in any hurry to just like have to trot out the national title lineup right now. So I'm with you. I'm just, I was just sort of curious. Not that I expected us to be leaving the Clemson Georgia Tech beatdown like with criticism. I, I was just, it, it's always like a talking point whenever we bring up Clemson and, and deserve it. Like I think, I think rightfully so, but I was just curious where your, where your level of concern lied. Let's stick in the ACC then because. Another team that we have questions about, like their ability to push the ball down the field and their outside receivers, they have more questions with with their passing game because we also have quarterback questions there, I think, or maybe just quarterback. We we don't like what they have all that much, and that's that's Notre Dame. I, seven possessions in this game for each team. I I, I got to say I love the NBC broadcast crew from a live betting perspective. I, I feel like they're kind of state media-ish, and man, Tony Dungy is not afraid to come out there and just say like, all right, I just just spoke to the Notre Dame coaching staff. Here is their exact game plan. Today, they are going to try to work the ball to their receivers because Kevin Austin is back in the lineup, and that's kind of what he said, and I had gone into this game with the idea I was going to live bet some under stuff because the winds were like 25 miles an hour, and then when he confirmed that they were indeed going to try to throw the ball around a ton, I was like, okay. This is a pretty. This is pretty solid because they're, they're going to take a little while trying to do this. And guess what, Barton? It is hard to throw the ball in 25 mile an hour wind, and Ian Book really couldn't do it. Notre Dame, their uh, their points per possession 
in the red zone were uh, was terrible. And I should say, like, look, man, this team's not going to be able to throw well enough to beat Clemson. And maybe I'm just going to be a week or two late on this. But I do want to see what they can do with, with Lindsey and Austin healthy and not in 25-mile-an-hour wins. And, and can Tommy Reese be creative enough to find ways to allow Bush or uh, uh, Book to push the ball down the field? Like I'm reserving judgment for, I think, one more week on Notre Dame. They get Pitt this weekend. Pitt will give them a lot of one-on-one opportunities. If they don't win those, then, then I think I'm out. Yeah, I mean, we yeah you know, we've heard in the past that Kevin Austin is this the guy that's supposed to be that that weapon on the outside, and and he's been he's coming off injury, he, they're still getting him a few touches here and there. He's not yet become the guy, uh, you know. Perhaps he does. There's still some highlights every game at the tight end position. I I don't know. This feels that Notre Dame feels right now to me very much like. Like a like a really good Wisconsin team, yeah. And and so a really good Wisconsin team is you know as you as you see them sort of plod through the Big Ten on a good in a good year, you you have so much respect for them, and you think they're really good, and you want to rank them really high, and you want to talk good about them and and all this. But then when they line up against Ohio State, you're not really tempted to pick them. And I think, and and I actually think I applaud Notre Dame for kind of understanding that that's who they are. That they've they've leaned, they've leaned into it, and I kind of called, you know, called for them to do that early in the season, and they kind of have. I mean, they're they're running a lot of two tight end sets. Um, they've they've Kyron Williams is a really good running back, and they've they've really um, been able to to sort of access him, and they don't ask Ian Book to do too much. Um, and 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 when you look at a 12-7 win over Louisville, you basically are like, well, that is not really a juggernaut performance. <laughs> but I will say, in in this like this game is not as much of a uh, black eye on Notre Dame and their status as a blue blood in this 2020 season as as you would expect. When you think of the seven series that Notre Dame had. They had so first series they kicked a field goal at the 14. All right. Next series they kicked a field goal at the 12. So the first two series they went 61 and 76 yards, 12 and 15 play drives. Like they're just in, in a windy day, they're just just grinding Louisville down and they just couldn't finish the drives. And they get a punt. Then they have a 14 play 90 yard drive that takes up half the quarter. And they get down and and they they this was at the end of the half, and instead of kicking another field goal, they went for a fake field goal and and um, they got stuffed. Then they get a touchdown, another punt, and then they they fourteen play fifty seven yard drive to end the game. So basically, so seven drives, uh, what one two three four five of them ended inside the the red zone. So only two drives that they not actually like get the ball into scoring zone. It was just sort of the nature of the game, and they seemed very content playing the game that way. And so that's just who this team is. I, th- I think like don't get fooled. I I don't think that you should get fooled into thinking that somehow Notre Dame isn't still the second best team in the ACC. They're they're the second best team in the ACC in the same way Wisconsin, if it were to come down to the ACC, would probably be the second best team. Not, a, not it's not as sexy. But it's it's effective, and most teams can't deal with it. 
But just like we talked about with Georgia, Notre Dame is and and um, you know we talked about with other teams like Notre Dame just doesn't quite have the style and doesn't have the personnel from an explosive big play perimeter standpoint to to get the job done and against a Clemson type of team and I, I still think that that's the case. I, I think I agree with you. Additionally, like the more I think through this, right, book is a limiting factor on this offense. So whereas Trevor Lawrence is an enabling factor for the Clemson offense. Trevor Lawrence can, if books receivers need to be better than Clemson's for Notre Dame to have a shot, not just equal. Like they have to be better because, because Ian book is not a great thrower of the football. Like he's just nowhere close to, to what Trevor Lawrence is like. Ian book's not an NFL guy. You know, Trevor Lawrence is, I mean, teams should probably tank for Trevor Lawrence. I think the Falcons probably screwed up today by beating, beating the Vikings. Teams should definitely tank for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor yeah. Lawrence is the most tankable quarterback that we've seen in like maybe ever. Like just, and I know there's been a good quarterback, and I'm saying he's not. I'm not saying he's going to be the best quarterback of all time. I'm just saying in terms of a quarterback that is, an as like a no doubt future franchise guy. I mean, good luck, good luck poking holes in him. Like he is, he is the he is the quarterback you tank for. Go ahead. There's no doubt. Uh, Speaking of, of of tanking, man, Coastal Carolina just ran through Louisiana Lafayette like a tank. Did, did you watch that? Or, or yeah. well, sh- should we call should we call Louisiana still? Like, like they they put up a a solid effort, but they were no match for Coastal, dude. Coastal thirty, Louisiana twenty seven. Like Both that. offenses were good. Both, but but Coastal's off. Like Coastal just is a team on a mission. You know the CJ Marable kid, the the running back, is a good player. Runs hard. You know, they're they've they've got a lot of creative ways to generate big plays. They've they're 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 fun. They're we've 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 like we've said they're fun. We said Jamie Chadwell is 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 time to time to get that name out there. Um yeah, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. So my my wife was out of town and sat down Wednesday and watched it. I was like, this is this is this is awesome. I'm just gonna sit here and watch Coastal and, and Louisiana. I, 202 yards on 24 throws, 212 on the ground, super balanced. They, they they managed to that offensive line, by the way, is super fun to watch because they're all like 5'8, 310, you know, which is very that's just extremely like 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 G5 offensive line. It's played together, they know what they're doing. Like they they will block you. And they if you had to ask them to actually do like a lot of drive back pass protection, they would probably get destroyed. And Coastal smart enough not to, not to ask them to do that kind of stuff. So uh, I think they, they really play to their personnel extremely well. They know that offense. And why would you not consider Chadwell for for the Vandy job, uh, assuming that opens? Like, I, yeah. Yeah, I think the – so the Vandy job is – it's a it's a question of do you are you are you hiring a scheme, or do you hire a a marketing executive? Um, I think if you're hiring a marketing executive, which is sort of what like the it's sort of the James Franklin um, model, then I think Will Healy may be your guy. And, and if you're hiring I agree with you over the summer on that, by the way, yeah. like there's there's no doubt. If you're hiring a scheme, I mean, but like, hey, look. The guy that you know, if Vanderbilt really wants to win, go hire Hugh Freeze. He'll he'll win. He's gonna win you games. 
you know, you may, you may not feel good about yourself and making that higher, but he's going to win you games. We're in the SEC, right? Um, so there's, I think there's a lot of options there, uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll see. Derek Mason still hanging on. So you got a little COVID by. I, I okay, I I can I can see that, and I mean I, I do think Hugh Freeze will be back in the SEC at some point. I'm just not sure how many jobs in the SEC this year, you know, actually open up. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting to see how many jobs open up. Period. Yeah, because if the SEC can't open because of money concerns, a lot of other places ain't open due to money concerns. Yeah, and it feels like a lot of the places where the obvious, like I wonder if there's, um, I wonder if anything happens at Iowa. That's a little bit. That feels right. a little bit Mark D'Antonio ish. Um, I wonder, you know, doesn't, doesn't feel like there's going to be a lot of movement in the ACC. Dave Doran sort of seems like he's playing his way out of the, out of the hot seat. Maybe Cuse if things, if things continue to go real bad. Yeah. But wouldn't they give him another year? I mean, he had, he's had some, he he's two years removed from like 10 wins or what. And New York was one of the States to where like, it was very difficult. Like that was one of the one, the one of the States that the league was worried about. Are they going to be on board with us playing this year? Right, like they you know, they didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to do any kind of like summer workout type stuff, and and yeah, I, I would give them a pass. Yeah, on on this year. So, yeah. speaking of, of a team, because I, I I do want to talk Big Ten next episode. We're, we're going to do our Big Ten preview next episode. Uh, people said, "Hey, talk Florida State on this show." It's like, well, okay, if they show a pulse, I will. And not only do they show a pulse. They came out and they beat number five team in the country, North Carolina. Um, really was a tale of two halves. Uh, I, I, FSU's defense this year has been absolutely horrendous. They have been really, really good at not allowing explosive plays and then uh, extremely bad at allowing everything else. So they get, they did some different stuff in this game against Sam Howell. Sam Howell, who was once committed to FSU, comes in there, and I don't know if he's if he's uh, you know too amped up or whatever, uh, but FSU comes out, they, they match personnel with, with their personnel a little, little bit more than they normally would. They're, they're playing a little bit more nickel with my guy, Jarvis Brownlee, who I've been on for, you know, basically since he was a, a junior uh, when I saw him at South Florida Express tryouts and, then, and he balled out for Carroll City as a senior. Um, they, they used him a lot in the slot where I think he's actually a really good player. And North Carolina is a very heavy RPO team under Phil Longo. And FSU came out with with the intention of dictating that North Carolina was going to give the ball, right? They, they, they didn't want to face the pass stuff. They, they wanted to make North Carolina run it. And based on the last couple of games, that would be a terrible idea because Notre Dame ran for, I think, 300-plus, and Miami also ran for a ton. Georgia Tech actually had a pretty good amount of success running the ball, all things considered. And for whatever reason... Guys like Marvin Wilson and Josh Kando and Corey Durden and Robert Cooper and Janarius Robinson, dudes who we talked about in the preseason, like, hey, if Mike Norvell's team can overachieve, it's going to be because this defensive line is, is, is dominating up front and setting up a lot of third and long type situations. They had been absolutely terrible so far this year, straight up. This game? They played with a different energy, and I'm not really one of these like, oh, they played so much harder type thing, but there was something different going on. Like they finally stopped thinking, you know, and, and they were just reacting within, within the context of the scheme and attacking. And in the first half, UNC moved the ball a little bit, didn't hit any explosive plays. FSU stopped the run, you know, decently enough. Uh, Sam Howell was very much focused on trying to force the ball 
to his number one guy who was oftentimes covered by Asante Samuel. And FSU builds a 31-7 to lead going into the half, thanks to Jordan Travis. Uh, he had six completions in the first half. Four of them were 35-plus yards. So if you're only going to complete six balls, you definitely want all of them to go 35-plus. And he had a couple of explosive runs by himself. FSU blocked a punt. They had a pick six from Josh Kando early in the game uh, to set up their, their 31-7 to lead. In the second half, UNC stopped biting quite so hard in some of the play-action stuff. They didn't allow I mean, really any explosive passes, very few explosive runs for FSU. FSU got behind the chains more and was unable to you know, throw their way out of that, obviously, because that's not, not what they're doing now with, with their spread option stuff with Jordan Travis. And I think UNC ran a lot less RPO stuff in the second half. They, they got out of letting FSU dictate what they were going to do as far as you know give or throw, and they started running just more conventional pass plays. FSU was in trouble there. Their backers are, are not very good in coverage ultimately, and Howell, to his credit, got off of trying to force the ball to his number one guy, whose name escapes him right now, and instead he started throwing it to Bo Corrales and into their tight end. He actually had seven passes of 25-plus in the second half, and um, – you know, FSU self-destructs down at the goal line with a personal foul from Dante Lucas. They miss a field goal there. They miss another field goal, and yet they hold on to win. 31-20, was it 31-28, 20, uh, I believe? They, they they tried to get that bad boy away, though. Yeah. They 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 gave it they they gave it their all to the to the to the end of the game. They gave it their all trying to hand that back to North Carolina. So I, I texted my buddy uh, during the game because he texted me, all right, now we're about ready to blow these guys out. Because this was, and I said, what FSU was doing in the first half might not be sustainable. Doesn't mean they can't hold on to win, but dot, dot, dot. He's like, all we need is seven or 10 more points now. This is a, after the, the, the comeback started. And uh, you know, kind of like, like the, the pleading phase, of, come on, just get one more score and they'll finally mm-hmm. get a win. But I got to say, like for a, a defensive staff that had been criticized a lot this year for FSU and a defensive line that I think had been justly criticized for playing pretty badly uh, on the year, they needed to put together one really good half to get North Carolina off schedule. And they really had Howell and, and UNC's offense pretty flummoxed in the first half, at least enough for them to stall out on a lot of those drives. And that's all it took, along with some really undisciplined play from UNC in the first half. If FSU even pretended to run the ball slightly, those safeties were coming up and the ball was going over their heads. Yeah, so they they didn't score in the second half, right? Correct. So, and and they got a, they got a defensive score in the first half. And a, and, and a 23-yard drive for a touchdown off a punt block. Yeah, yeah. So, so what does that get? That, that, we're down to 17 points now Yeah, that aren't just sort of a little bit of a gift and all come in the first half. And so that, that's my only, th- that's where I'm not going to start quite getting, not the Florida state's back, but like that Florida state is, Oh, suddenly this team has turned a corner. I think they found something that they can work with in Jordan Travis. And yet now we got also have two games of, we got two games of tape of Jordan Travis now too. And there's everyone in America that's, this is going to play Florida state is going to know that Jordan Travis is not trying to throw the ball. Um, they don't want him to throw the ball. They, this is not. So I just think game plans are going to get trickier. 
Um, you know, Mike Norvell's good at the game plan, the 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 game plan deal too. Like that guy can scheme scheme up some points. Um, and that was always my thing with Florida State, and and not to get too crazy in the early going is man, he's just still learning his roster. He's figuring this stuff out. This is first year. Um, they'll 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 find some things, and they found some things, and now I think teams are going to adjust and adapt, and we'll see if they can adjust and adapt back. I still think. Um, so, so, but, but to your point, like the, what's always going to make this team tick is the defense. Um, and if the defense can sort of pick up the offense and it did against North Carolina, we'll see how many times they got some, uh, some pick me ups in them the rest of the way. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with you on that, by the way. I, yeah, they, they definitely do not want to drop Jordan Travis back to throw now off play action. I think they're pretty okay with it. You know, rollouts, scrambles, off script stuff, they're they're pretty okay, but like every passing play needs to somehow involve his legs. I, I and I don't think they really wanted to run this offense. Clearly, I mean, if you recall, now Travis was was hurt and for a good bit of spring, so he, so or, or fall rather, he, he missed a couple weeks. So maybe things are different if they got to evaluate him more because they didn't have a spring either. Um, but this was kind of like the break glass in case of emergency plan to to switch to the spread option. If Blackman didn't work, if Rodemaker didn't work, because Purdy was still coming back from the collarbone, but I do think that kind of uniquely situated here to run a lot of spread option stuff because you know Norvell is a Malzahn guy, right? Well, I mean more, more Todd Graham, but kind of kind of you know similar concept there. Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, worked worked for Malzahn, and importantly here, Alex Atkins was the run game coordinator for Tulane with Willie Fritz and previously at Georgia Southern. So like that's a guy that has a boatload of experience understanding how to block some of the spread option stuff. If you're going to run all these option concepts from gun, I mean, the guy who was with Willie Fritz at Georgia Southern as his offensive line coach and his run game coordinator at Tulane, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. He's done a really good job for them this year. I think he's actually been their best coaching hire. So, What's uh, which game you want to go to in the SEC is more interesting for you? South Carolina, Auburn, or Ole Miss, Arkansas? Oh. All right. So, do you know who uh, Huru Onata is? No. All right. So, in 1974, he was a uh, World War II soldier. Is this I, the dude on like the Dan Carlin? Uh, yes. Go ahead. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think I do. I don't. I didn't know my name. I think I know who you're talking about. Digging. All right. So uh, he spent 29 years. He was a World War II soldier for Japan, hiding out in the jungle of the Philippines. Uh, and Japan had to actually send his former commander uh, from Japan to formally relieve him of his duty because he did not. He was not aware that the war was over, and he had held his post for 29 years. That's incredibly patient, man. Barry Odom, Arkansas defensive coordinator. He's got that kind of patience and that kind of, like he has this humility about him about about playing defense here. He's not trying to bow Polini. He's not like, hey, we're gonna we can man these guys up. He's like, you know what? We can't man these guys up. And some of these spread offenses that want to want to check the ball around and throw a million passes and and run a million mile, million miles an hour and want to score quickly. We're just gonna be the the most conservative possible defense ever. And just see if these offenses won't make a couple mistakes. And it worked against Mississippi State. And I really hadn't seen anybody try this so far against Ole Miss, just playing crazily conservative. And my guess is like Arkansas is like, well, uh, 
We saw what Bama tried to do with Bama's athletes. If we try that, we might give up 100. So let's just – they drop eight guys into coverage constantly, and it was a perfect time to do so. Matt Corral coming off that huge game against Bama, not very patient. I don't think the Ole Miss receivers were very good in this game as far as sitting down, finding holes in, in a drop eight type zone. Ole Miss didn't run the ball necessarily enough. I think they were confused at times. But, like, man, bravo for to, for Barry Odom for being, like, super patient. And I know he's got some experience defending these wide-open spread offenses. You know, he, he was he was at Missouri. He, he had faced Leach prior. Um, and he also – wasn't he at Missouri when they had Heupel and Jeff Levy running their offense? Uh, you, let's, I let's, guess he would have been. So, like, he's probably seeing what bugs these guys in practice, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So, like – Arkansas's defense, I'm not they play hard, they tackle well, and they're just super patient, man. They will give up six yards, five yards all day, but they just don't want to give up the bomb. And so far, against two high flying offenses, in at least in scheme, they've not. So I I think one like one thing that yeah, that's a great point, and I think you're right. Um one thing that sort of has caught my attention about this Arkansas team is, is you know, uh, Chad Morris has kind of gotten crapped on through this whole deal. And he, you know, looked, oh, man, it's they, they finally got a, a coach they want to play for. And, oh, they, like, look at how improved this team is and, and look at how um, – you know, look at what look at what happens when you when you get a real coach or whatever you know um and a lot of that's probably fair or fine and and you know that's part of the gig but i do think you got to give cuz you look Barry Odom put together a great system and a great scheme and it, and and all the things you said are true but some guys did make some plays too and a lot of those guys are guys that Chad Morris recruited and so i think that the like there there has been a, this this unsp- like it, I think it needs to be said that there is some talent on this roster like Jalen Catalan is a Texas four star kid that Chad Morris was supposed to come in and get Texas kids and recruit well in that state and he got Jalen Catalan he got Joe Fouché from Louisiana he got Greg Brooks from Louisiana he got uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the roster and just like teeming with talent, but there are players on the roster. And, um, and so I, I, I did sort of like, as, as that was one of the reasons why I come into this year, I thought that they could be better than, than, than people were giving them credit for because of just all these names I recognize, all these names I liked in high school. I was like, man, these guys don't suck. And, and, and here they are and they're making plays. And, uh, and I even looked up too, bud, like I was expecting, cause when I watched, when I rewatched the game, I watched it a little bit today, sort of passively and Ole Miss was moving the ball. They were around the end zone a lot. They were, they, you know, they got in the red zone a lot. They turned the ball over a lot. Um, but and so I was I was I was ready to come here and be like uh, maybe I shouldn't get too excited about Arkansas just yet though guys because Ole Miss did move the ball a ton Matt Crowell just served them up a few interceptions and that's that's tough to overcome 
But then I, I, I actually looked, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the numbers, and Ole Miss was held to 4.9 yards of play on 91 plays. So I don't know. Like that, I mean, this, I, I've, I've said it every game. I mean, not that I'm alone, but this Arkansas team just, they, they believe, man, that they're fun. They, they, like they've, they've got a good energy about them and they're playing good football and it's not always pretty. And Felipe Frank can do some stupid stuff, but he can also unleash a uncork like a monster throw from time to time. And Traylon Burks can one hand catch one in the back of the end zone. And Jalen Catalan can just be around the ball. And I mean, this team just might figure out a way to win a few more. Ole Miss had one play of 25 plus yards. If you, That's a good stat. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I don't count, I don't count the fake punt in there, right? If you're talking about Arkansas's defense, because that was a 47 yarder. That, in fairness, Arkansas should have seen coming. I, I, I think, like, guys, you're down multiple scores. Ole Miss is punting, you know, from your side of the field. Yeah, but you're right. I was too, I was too low on Arkansas this summer. I, I was. And I think most of that was because, like, I thought, I thought, as far as a win. I thought they could improve quality of play. I really didn't think they would improve their record because my thought was even if they improved their their quality of play, they would just need to improve so much to win more games, right? Unless the rest of the league came back to them, uh, because like last year they were just blown out I mean, routinely by you know three, four, five touchdowns by decent SEC teams. Um, but they they've 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 impressed me. If there's a concern going forward, they, they still can't run the ball. I mean, 3.6 yards if you take out the sacks is 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 bad against this old Miss rush defense. Uh, so my guess is that there will be some teams that can shut down their run game and put it all on Felipe Franks, and he's played well so far. I'm just not sure that's super sustainable. But, man, they deserve credit for sure. Last two SEC things here for me. I have a hard time getting, like, crazy worked up over Auburn. They they had a 32% yards per play edge over South Carolina. Th- their run game's getting better. They, they ran for 200. If like if you're like, hey, who should be more concerned about South Carolina or Auburn? I know this sounds crazy, and I don't even necessarily believe it totally, but like we know there's a certain random element to turnovers. And Auburn dropped some picks that South Carolina threw. You know, I, man, if they play that game again. I'm probably picking Auburn. I mean, 32% yards per play edge is a big edge. And Auburn did manage to run run for 200-plus with, with Tank Bigsby. But these turnovers are like – they're like back-breaking, crazy, what-the-hell variety turnovers going on right now. And, and I don't think Bo Nix has been bad for most of this year, but I thought this was a down game for him specifically. Like, he just did stuff that didn't make any sense. And maybe he was reacting to mess-ups by his receivers or something. I don't know. But damn, dude, like that was that seemed like a step back for him. And yet I look around the league, like who else on Auburn's schedule can't they beat other than Bama? They've already played the Georgia game. Well, I think that yeah, I mean, that's true that they they can beat everyone else on their schedule. But I think the problem with Auburn is other than Bama, I think. But the problem with Auburn is they could they could also lose to everyone else on their schedule. And I think I think that's where we're at with Auburn is like, all right, um, they're just they're just there is no difference between Auburn and 
anybody else that they play. Like there's, there's no, I think, distinct advantage. I mean, they've, you could, you could make a case that they've gotten through the easy part of their schedule. Um, I mean, Mississippi state, that looks like that they're, they're sort of getting more manageable by the week, but Ole Miss, I don't, I mean, I'd be a little worried about Ole Miss, um, LSU, who the hell knows? A&M, I think we feel is good. T- Tennessee, t- to me, feels like it's a fairly even match with Auburn. And then there's Bama. So I think, the, to me, the, the Auburn hand-wringing is more about sort of where, where is the person who's wringing their hands expectation of Auburn? Um, is your expect, was your expectation of Auburn to be 8-2 and two this year? If you were, then hell yeah. Like you should be concerned. If your expectation of Auburn was to be 6-4 and four this year, then you shouldn't be too freaked out because they they'll probably still finish six and four. Um, but I, I, I do go ahead. I just want to I, I want to ask you like Kevin Steele has had a tremendously good defense, like top five level defense for a couple of years in a row at Auburn. And in the back of my mind, and this is not like a hey they need to fire Gus Malzahn type thing, but long term, like does it bother you that they're supposed to be building something there on offense? And it just still doesn't look any better, really, that, that it has, you know, recently. Like, they're not really much better with, with Bo Nix. It, it, their their drop-back passing game, I know Malzahn is not known for that. He's really a run guy. And they're maybe – I know people criticize their their passing game concepts, and maybe Morris will fix that. But it's kind of like, all right, you guys are supposed to be working on this. Hope you didn't procrastinate because now Auburn's defense is not what it used to be. And they're like, oh, uh, wait, that was due today? Oh, uh you know what I mean? It it it's yeah. I mean, I feel like we're just sort of kick like it's it's almost this um it's like a it's like a health issue, you know, that you just you just kind of refusing to go to the doctor about. Like it's just just lingering, you know, whatever, like lump like that you just don't want to get checked out. <laughs> it's like at some point you got to get this thing fixed. Or you're gonna, or it's gonna totally eat you up, and I and, I, and the but the problem is Gus Mal like Gus Malzahn. I mean, it's this joke. It's this joke every year. Gus Malzahn hired a new offensive coordinator. He's gonna like hand over the offense. All right, whatever. It's, just, it's gonna look the same, and it looks the same again. And yeah, like the, a little bit. I mean, I think I sense a little bit of of um, Chad Morris in there this year, different than than years past when we do this bit, but I, not, not a lot, not as much. I mean, I'm yeah, absolutely. But I mean, so it's hard to really even evaluate Gus Malzahn. I think ultimately though, that's just kind of his Achilles heel and you just have to deal with it when you get a Gus Malzahn coach team. But on the flip side, you're going to play really good defense. You're going to, you're going to win a lot of close games. You're going, I mean, they clearly are a well-prepared team generally. I mean, they clearly sort of, I don't want to say they get sort of the most out of their talent, but they get a lot out of it. They're, they're sort of a top, you know, they're, they're the, the top of that spectrum. So it, I think it's really hard because, because I think Gus Malzahn is a really good coach. It's just the fact that he can't fix that, the past game and that it continues to look the same as it's looked for the past five years. Just, is is uh is is more of like a just like a bad optic than it is like a real um fireable offense. So 
I'm with you. And and it's and 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 like when Bo Nix showed up at Auburn and was good as a freshman, but was good in a very um freshman. Yeah, like like contained way, like very like it, it was in a box here of this, you know, I, yeah, freshman way, whatever you want. Like, but it was clear, like there was we're not gonna see it didn't look like we were gonna see a lot of development out of Bo Nix. He just is what he is, and he's gonna he's gonna play around it a little bit and make some plays outside the pocket, and here we are. And that fits up nicely with what Mr. Malzahn does, but the offense isn't going to evolve, and neither is Bo Nix. That's my expectation from here on out. We'll see if they prove me wrong. All right, I've got, got a question for you. Jeremy Pruitt is closer to Will Muschamp or Kirby Smart in terms of trajectory of the former Nick Saban defensive coordinators, now head coaches in the SEC? That's a good question, You're, and it's and it's a good you know that you're asking it to me right after a win, or I'm sorry, right after a loss, especially a bad loss, is probably what makes it a good question. Because I think most weeks, I would say he is closer to, to Kirby Smart. So I have to sort of just catch myself, make sure I'm I'm evaluating everything. Um, after a loss like that and make sure I'm still on, on pace. I still suspect he's closer to Kirby smart. I think his, and, and part of that could be, yeah, I think he is. And, and, and I think it's, I think it's about recruiting. I think it's about his, um, I think he's capable of self-reflection and that's a guess and an S and, and like a, um, I mean, that's a guess. I don't know that. I think he's capable of of seeing where he th- things are going wrong and fixing them. Um, I mean, he's. I don't think Jim Cheney was a bad hire. Uh, I think it was a good hire for what he wants to do. Now let's see if Jim Cheney can can give him an offense he can win with, and if he has to make a change, you know, does is that you know can he find someone that's going to push the envelope there? Um, what what's your answer to that question? Because I, I think you've got some doubts from this weekend. I do have doubts. I, I'm still going to say Kirby because I, I did see Will Muschamp's recruiting there at Florida, and I saw him like sign like only one offensive lineman in a class one time. And I I think that uh, Jeremy Pruitt is very much into recruiting offensive players too, which you know is, is a big time difference. And he's only a couple years into being a head coach, and he really wasn't a defensive coordinator, you know, for for that long. Uh, so I, I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt. But something that struck me that you said was Jim Cheney was a good hire for what he wants to do. Yeah. I have some concerns with what he wants to do on offense because I'm not really convinced that the number one goal for Tennessee's offense under Jeremy Pruitt is to score points. I think scoring points, they might they, they might see as like, you know, a result of Hey, let's dominate the line of scrimmage and control the game and you know con- control field position. Whereas, like George- Bama wants to score points and is doing so, and Georgia, I think, via their actions in the transfer portal and their their hire of Munkin, like they actively know that they need to switch into that, and they they're not doing it yet. Like they're not actually scoring the points necessarily, but they are at least making an effort to score in that points. Whereas Tennessee is still very much like, you know, 2009 
Alabama, let's run the ball on first and second down constantly. And it just struck me, like on the broadcast, I think it was Cole Kublik and a couple other guys, they were talking about how the Tennessee staff in their their production meeting had said that they they put so much on Garantano. He sets all the protections, and you know, there's there's all this stuff they, they, that he has them do. And and almost like speaking like like this type of stuff is beneath them. They're like, you know, he's not looking to the sideline to get the checks and the protections and things like that. And I'm like, uh, well, I'll tell you what. You were like 100th in the country last year in offense. You, you might want to try some of that stuff. And you also might want to try allowing Jared Garantano to throw the ball on the most friendly throwing down in ball, which is first down. And yet Tennessee ran before garbage time in this game. And it's absolutely insane that I had to say before garbage time in a home game to Kentucky. But before garbage time, Tennessee ran the ball 70% of the time on first down in this game with very limited success. Like, like, all right, hey, we're going to pound it up there for three or four yards. Man, three yards on first down is not graded as a successful play. Like, you're you're behind the sticks. And, like, that's – they just put them in all these these kind of bad downs to throw. And, I don't know, like, they speak about how they, much they trust him to do all this stuff, but they're not setting him up for success, I feel like. And he's not a good player either. He's not – like, that. it's not all in the staff. He's certainly not somebody – I'm super excited to have throw a ton, but it does seem like they're they ask him to bail bail them out in situations that are not real advantageous to to doing so. You know, like like let the kid throw a little bit on first down. I mean, Pruitt's an old school ball coach. Yeah, you know, and he's old old school ball coach. He don't like this newfangled offense stuff. You know, and his AD is too. His AD is an yeah. old school ball coach who ran the ball on first and second down all the time. You but like you're the the initial question of is he much is he closer to Muschamp than Kirby? The those guys are all just like degrees of the same thing, and so a uh, Kirby Smart, that's the thing that's missing for Kirby too. Is is, I mean, look, you can't do it right now with Stetson Bennett a quarterback, but the the I mean that's been what people have been like like pleading for out of Kirby Smart is to just sort of be more modern offensively and they're uh, they're like they're taking baby steps to get in there but uh i mean kirby smart is not uh, he hasn't embraced the the new school way of thinking offensively or even the winning football games either um so i guess my, my you know the 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 positive outlook for jeremy pruitt is he's still like he, the the roster is still turning over he's he is He's, you know, I think he is, it's not always just about play calling and recruiting. Like it, there is also a, a, an in-game element, a development element, a discipline element. Like I think that Jeremy Pruitt is, is going to have his teams well-prepared for games. I think he's going to have his roster built the right way. I think he's going to continue to do these things well. And so when you, when you, Throw two pick sixes and three interceptions on three straight throws in the first half against Kentucky. Yeah, like that thing might spiral out of control on you and it might look bad at the end of the day. But I don't, but, but I don't, you know, the Tennessee fans that are on Twitter, you know, feeling like they got, got to get rid of their coach again. Is, oh, I haven't seen that. Well, I mean, but you know, like they're crazies. I they're, mean, obviously, that it's not, it's not realistic. I know that, but I'm just, you know, this is, I still think this is a coach that like is well on his way and um, a better quarterback would make things better. 
wouldn't make things, you know, I think your points are all well taken uh, on the, uh, the offensive philosophy stuff, but I, I, I would, I don't think he's quite there yet into having the roster that he really wants to do what he wants. And I think what he wants is to be Kirby smart. Now there's still Nick Saban doing the Nick Saban stuff, which is, which is embracing, you know, all the ways to, that you have to, 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 to win right now. Um, but but I think getting to Kirby Smart's level is still very much in the cards. I don't disagree with you there. I, I I think Harrison Bailey is is worth watching. I mean, like the guy's got some real talent. He actually took a big step forward as a senior there at Marietta, and like maybe he'll be the key to unlocking it. Maybe they just like, maybe they just have the such thing, trust issues. Here's the thing with Harrison. Yeah, yeah. Well, like right. So trust issues with Garantano and and. I mean that they went to was Shrout came in afterwards. Yeah, and and he threw twenty five interceptions as a senior in high school, and he is that you know that's probably the problem right now is that if that's their second string guy, you know what does that say about Harrison Bailey? And the other thing about Harrison Bailey is uh, he had some COVID stuff, and he's a true freshman and didn't have the spring and whatever. This is not an indictment on Harrison Bailey, but he is still a slow twitch pro style quarterback. So they're going to look the same. Like the offense is like, he doesn't come in and change the way the offense looks. Is he better at operating it than Garrett Garantano? I would hope so. He's a tough kid. He's got a big arm. He's played in a lot of big games. He's a competitor. His skill set doesn't change what the offense is though. No, I, that's, that's fair. But like you know, maybe, maybe the, the approach within the framework of the offense, as far as being a, being a little bit more open to throwing the football on, on maybe early they downs, trust, maybe they just trust him more. Yeah, to make, yeah, yeah. As and a, not as this year, maybe. Like right. I'm just thinking, like in the future, maybe this looks different. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead and I, I think punt our our recruiting question to the next show because we're already at uh, already at an hour here. Um, so let's let's go ahead and, and kick that next show. Really appreciate y'all getting us 600 reviews on on Apple Podcasts. Let's get to 700, man. We're, we're almost 650. So if we get to 700, that'd be that'd be awesome. Got to pass Josh Pate again. He's passed us, but he does like a show every day and twice on Sunday. So you know, there's kind of a volume problem there. It's getting tense in the office right now. <laughs> <laughs> Help so, us out. Help us out. No doubt, y'all. All right. See you next time, buddy. All right. Later.